What's your response to Christmas? Christmas, the first time the word, it comes from an old English word, Christus Masse, old English word from 1038 AD. It means the mass of Christ, the worship of Christ. Christmas is a time of the year we celebrate God's most precious gift, the gift of his son. I want you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We're going to camp out there for a moment. But I want to remind you that Paul tells us to look at Christmas or Jesus through this lens. 2 Corinthians 9.15, the apostle says, Let us thank God for his priceless gift. Now, there is no exact day that scholars, theologians, historians have been able to say this is the exact birthday of Christ. We figured it out. So there are many dates, and everyone is really an educated guess. Some say January 6th. Some say it was in September. Others say it was in April. The reason why December 25th has been chosen is not because of exactness or correctness of the actual birth date of Christ. It was because it was a big holiday that was being celebrated, primarily that was by irreligious people called the Unconquerable Sun God. S-U-N. Common G. And it was so big and so and so attractive to perpetuate the whole idea of atheism and idolatry that the Christian said, let's seize that day, let's take over that day and make it a day where we celebrate the true unconquerable Son of God, S-O-N, capital G-O-D. And so we Christians stole it from the atheists, December 25th. In fact, if you ever read any of the atheist literature, and I, I do, just to keep abreast as to their arguments, they say, we, we want to steal Christmas back. Let's try to steal it back. The fact of the matter is it's just too late. <laughs> We're good thieves. <laughs> we stole it. But you'll find that there are four gospel narratives. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all capture the life of Jesus on the earth. He lived on the earth for 33 and a half years. He started his ministry at age 30 and then was crucified at age 33. Three and a half years of his ministry, you'll find that when Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when you read them, there's a lot of similarity, but then there's some slight differences. Not because that they were contradictory, because each author was writing to a different community. And each community needed to hear certain things that they can resonate with that made sense to them based on how they looked at life. And so you'll find of the four Gospels, Luke and Matthew deal with the birth narrative of Jesus. That means, tell us about the birth of Jesus. Tell us what surrounded it. Tell us what followed it. Tell us what happened as he was born. And so that's what we want to look at to try to understand again, what's your response to Christmas since the birth of Jesus is really Christmas. And in Luke chapter 2, we find that Caesar had issued a sense that a census be taken in all the Roman world. And so all the Jews that were living scattered around the Roman world, they went to their hometown so they could be able to be recorded properly in the census. Joseph engaged to marry 
who was to be the mother of Jesus, they went to Bethlehem. So I want to pick up the story right there, verse 5. He, that's Joseph, went there, that's Bethlehem, to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child, the virgin birth. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So think about it. This pregnant woman steps into this inn, hotel, asking for a room, and the innkeeper said, no room here. He didn't even inquire about who she was and the baby that she was carrying and what that represented. And you know why? So many people, so many activities, so many things, he, the innkeeper, was distracted. And my question to you is this, are you distracted? Because many people are distracted when it comes to Christmas. You're busy working, busy taking care of your family, busy out in the mall, shopping, doing all kinds of things to make quote-unquote Christmas enjoyable for your family, and you've done everything but to think about and to focus on the true meaning of Christmas and the true response of Christmas, not gifts, not making more money, but celebrating Jesus. What's your response? Are you distracted? The innkeeper was busy to make sure that all the rooms were filled. Everybody was paying their money. All the guests were taken care of. All the, 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 the natural needs that the hotel manager should make sure occur, occurs. He made sure that all the T's were crossed, all the I's were dotted, everything was tight, everything was, was seamless. And, and he just says to this couple, hey, you guys can't stay here. Don't, don't stay in the barn. Too busy to focus on Christmas. Have you ever gotten kicked out of a hotel? I have. I was actually in Cuba. And I was supposed to stay in this hotel for 10 days. And after the first night, they called me down to the front desk. And in the broken English and my broken Spanish, we understood each other. They said, you gotta leave. I said, why? They said, a baseball team is coming here and we think that you work for the New York Yankees and you want to recruit some Cuban players and we want you out of here. I don't work for the Yankees. I'm not a scout for the Yankees. I do like the Yankees, but I'm not on their, on their payroll. And so they kicked me out of the hotel. And so I, I can understand to some level of how Joseph and Mary must have felt. She's with child. And it was any moment now and for you ladies who have had children, I understand to some level, not totally, but I get it. When my wife was expecting our second child, and she said, and I, we jumped in the car, and this time I didn't do what I did for the first child. When she said, honey, my water broke, I got up and I ironed my clothes. She said, did you know what I just said? Get no time for that. I just want to be proper. And so here I am now. And so this time around, I didn't iron my clothes. I just got in the car, got the oldest daughter, Danielle. She's three years old at a time. Put her in the back seat, and, and here I am in the front seat, and Marlon is in the, in, in the, in the, 
front passenger. I said, let's go. And I'm driving fast. I'm on the highway going 90 miles an hour. And Daniel's saying, Daddy, you're going too fast. You're going too fast. And my wife's saying, go faster. And so I understand to some level what it means when you don't know when this baby is coming. But it's coming. And here is Mary sequestered to the barn, smelly animals, the remnants of the animals on the floor. Let your imagination run wild. Why? The innkeeper was too distracted. Baby comes and they place the baby in a manger. You know what a typical first century manger looks like? I mean, you, you, you deal with families. You, you see families with babies. They make sure their baby has the best. They dress their baby up in the finest duds that they can afford. And they make sure that that little cradle or whatever they're using, it is sharp. Not our Savior. There he was in the trough where animals eat. Why? That Christmas, that first Christmas, the innkeeper, comfortable but distracted. He was in the hotel, Jesus in the barn in a manger. My question to you is this. This Christmas, are you so busy working, busy caring, busy shopping, busy going to family gatherings, busy doing all the outings, busy, 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 that you are so distracted that you forgot about the real meaning of Christmas? Christmas, it's about you saying, I need a Savior, and I am madly in love with the fact that God has given me this indescribable gift of His Son. And Christmas, I'm going to pause and remind myself as to what the meaning is all about. Let me take you to the second birth narrative, the Gospel of Matthew. And in Matthew chapter 2, in verse 1, we see another angle as to what surrounded the birth of Christ. Verse 1 says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem of, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. Could you imagine? Magi, which means wise men, from the east, scholars agree, from a thousand miles away, Babylon. Magi, it captured educators, academics, scholars, and most scholars agree that it also, they fell into a category in that generation called astrologers or astrologists. Not in the same meaning of what we look at astrology today, 
But these astrologers were people that studied the stars to understand the meaning of life and what God's plan was in regards to their purpose and what, where are they going, where have we come from, who are we. Those kinds of questions that every human being searches for answers for, that's what these wise men did in terms of their time. They saw the star in the sky and they followed the star and they came. They were so sophisticated and such elite in their society that they were able to have a private audience with the king, Herod. And so when the king entertained them, they said, we're here. And it wasn't to pay homage to the king, not to Herod. We came because we saw a star in the sky and the star is pointing us to where the king will be born or the Messiah and we have come to worship him. Herod, can you please tell us where this king will be born? Herod had no idea. I don't know anything about this king, this Messiah. So he gathered all the chief priests, teachers of the law, queried them, where is the Messiah to be born? They compared notes, they knew they said, in Bethlehem in Judea, Herod told the Magi, in Bethlehem in Judea, go check it out. And when you find out where he is, send word back to me so I can also go and worship. Now he was lying about that last part. And so they went and six miles away from Jerusalem to Bethlehem is, how they, is where they walked. And the, the stark challenge to me in this text is, the religious leaders, the religious community in Jerusalem, no one even walked with the Magi to find out where this Messiah was. And these are people that were waiting for the Messiah. And what I hear from this text is this, that they were disinterested. So my question to you is this. Do you fall into that same trap? Sometimes we, we meet people that they know so much about the Bible, but they don't know the author of the Bible. They know so much about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. And they fall into this trap that's so deceptive, it's an academic trap. They're always pursuing knowledge, always searching for more information. They're always compiling more and more data, but they don't do anything. These religious leaders wouldn't even travel Six miles. It takes the average person 20 minutes to walk one mile. So about an hour and a half, they went right there and seen the Messiah. Six miles. If we want to look at it as a foot race, it could be like a, a 10K. 6.2 miles. Do you know that the world record right now for men in running... A 10K or 6.2 miles is 26 minutes and 17 seconds. And that, you know how fast that is? That ought to be illegal. I ran 10K the other day on a treadmill. It took me 55 minutes. And I was huffing and puffing all the way. You may say, man, you're slow. You're right. I'm not Kenyan. <laughs> and so for women, the world record for 10K is 29 minutes and 17 seconds. It's fast. And none of the religious rulers or leaders, teachers of the law, was interested enough to even walk the six miles to Bethlehem to be able to see this Messiah and pay homage to him and worship him like people that walked a thousand miles away, simply disinterested. 
I remember speaking in Oakland, California several years ago. And I was with a Chinese group of people. They had started a church in Oakland, California, and the leaders came from mainland China. And I said to them, how you came from mainland China to Oakland, California to plant a church to reach Chinese people in that, that, are, that are indigenous to China? They said, absolutely. I said, why? He said, because the Chinese that are living here, they didn't even show enough interest to the Chinese that don't know Jesus to plant a church among the Chinese community. And we had to come from mainland China because we had an interest to reach the people that were so disconnected from the rest of American society in regards to the gospel, and we wanted to reach them for Christ. Question, as it pertains to Christmas, are you interested? Someone, sometimes when you talk to irreligious people, they hide behind you know, this, this notion that, hey, there's so many hypocrites in the, in the church and there's so many hypocrites that are preachers. I know a preacher is sleeping with the, this person and that person and they're not his spouse. And so, therefore, I don't believe any of that. You know how easy it is to hide behind those kinds of excuses? We may know the same people that are hypocrites. But just because they're hypocrites that are in existence, that's no excuse for you to show disinterest towards who Jesus is. You need to take time to search out the claims of Christ because one day you're going to stand before God and you have to give an account and He's going to say, what did you do with my son? You can't say at that point, hey, I'm an atheist. In fact, one of my favorite historical preachers, Charles Spurgeon said, atheism is a strange thing. Even the devil's never fell into that vice, for the devils also believe and tremble. That's pretty alarming. Spurgeon says, demons are smart enough to know that God exists. How could you fall into a trap to not even believe in the existence of God? I remember having an attorney that I was working through a legal matter with many years ago. And then once we concluded the legal issues, I started to broach spiritual issues. So I said, where are you in regards to your relationship with God? And politely he said, Reverend, I, I don't believe in God. It's not an issue for me. And so I, I, I stepped a little bit closer in the conversation. I said, you mean to tell me that you don't even believe in God's existence? No, we're scientific people. We're rational people. I, I don't believe in God. I said, well, I want to pray that the moment you walk out of my office and you cross the street that a bus knocks you down and kills you. And I said that with a serious face. He said, Reverend, don't pray that. I said, why not? You don't believe in God, so what, 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 what difference does it mean? He said, look, look, just don't pray it. That's all. Just don't pray it. I mean, it's amazing how we hide behind these excuses and these statements that make us sound so sophisticated and so clever and so smart until you really start to see the rubber hits the road. And these, these religious leaders, high priests, and these teachers of the law, they fell into a trap like most people fall into. They hide behind the facade of religion. And re this is why religion is so dangerous and damaging. It gives us the impression that we're safe. 
Just because you know about God and you know about Jesus and some of his claims doesn't mean that you know him. To know him is to be changed by him. To know him is to order your life in concert with his statements and beliefs and teachings and words of wisdom. And so to know him is, I mean, at some point you have to look like him. First century, when someone wanted to really ascribe to the teachings of their rabbi, they would follow behind them to see how the rabbi ate, how the rabbi talked, how the rabbi interacted with people. So wherever their teacher was, they're walking behind them. And to show someone compliment, you would say to them, may the dust of your rabbi always cover you. And so if, if I'm going to pay compliment to you in your journey with Jesus, I'm going to say, may the dust of your rabbi Jesus always cover you. That means wherever he goes, you follow him closely so that his dust, as he picks up the dust on, as on the road and his shoes kick up the dust, the dust cover you because you stay close. And so I say to you, if you want this Christmas to be really the most meaningful Christmas of your life, don't just focus on gifts, focus on the giver and the giver of life and recognize this Jesus who God sent. Such an indescribable gift. Don't fall into the trap that the religious folks in first century did. They knew about the Messiah, but they did not know the Messiah. Why? They were disinterested. Don't miss Christmas. Because you're distracted. Don't miss Christmas because you're disinterested. And when I go down to verse 16 now to see how did this thing conclude with Herod and the Magi and the whole idea of him coming to worship the Messiah. Verse 16 says, When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, the Magi didn't go back and tell him, they went home another route. He was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Could you imagine? Herod was so furious. And this speaks to me that he missed Christmas. Why? He was disturbed. And so my question to you is this. Are you disturbed like Herod was because the idea of this disturbance caused you to miss Christmas Herod was disturbed because he's thinking is fear the fear of will I be publicly killed since there's a new king will I be privately assassinated will I be driven from my throne his disturbance drove him to paranoia and so to make sure that he safeguarded his throne, he authorized that all the boys, two years old and under, the time period from when the Magi left him, when they found out that the Messiah was born six miles away in, in, in Bethlehem, to that time in history, two years, Herod said, kill all the boys, two years old and under. And they did that. But it still did not remove his feelings of disturbance. There are a lot of things that make us disturbed. Sometimes we're disturbed because we don't realize that when we come to Christ, He wants to heal parts of who we are. When you deal with sometimes irreligious people, they're angry. They're angry about a bunch of things. And they don't realize sometimes they're angry because people have taken advantage of them and they don't know how to get healed of that, of that 
of that devaluing and of that being debased and being abused. That's why when we come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, whatever birth families we're born into, whatever abuses we've had to overcome, whatever neglect we've had to circumvent, Sometimes in those families and in those environments, we've had to stuff down aspects of who we are so we can function in their setting. We couldn't be honest because they're abusive towards honesty. We couldn't laugh because they ridiculed our laughter. We couldn't crack jokes because they would turn it around and be abusive towards us. And so as a result, we stuff down parts of who we are into, into, into ourselves, into our souls. And when we come to Christ, the Holy Spirit starts to put His finger on parts of our identity and parts of our personality that we had lost touch with. And all of a sudden we start giving leeway to expressions and to feelings and emotions and different aspects of our personality. And we start flowering. That's why Irenaeus, one of the church fathers, says that the glory of God is the human fully alive? And when you're fully alive, there are parts of you that you now start giving permission to. And people start saying things, I didn't know you were that funny. I, I never knew that you were so compassionate. I, I never knew you were so creative. I, I never knew that you had such insight. I, I never knew you had such empathy. And truth be told, you never knew that either about yourself because you'd stuffed aspects of who you are deep down in your soul to try to just function and cope given the environment in which you're in. And Jesus, because of his love for you, his glory is to make you fully alive in all of who you are. It was a number of years ago I was speaking at the East Campus on a Sunday and after one of the services with my assistant that walks with me, I, as we're walking back to the hospitality room, I said, would you get a hold of that lady right over there? Tell her I'd just like to have a word with her. And so he walked back and found her in a crowd and said, Pastor David, I'd like to talk to you for a minute. And so she didn't know what I wanted to say to her. And so when she met with me in the hospitality room, I, I didn't even start with any niceties. How are you? And... I didn't even go, I just went right to my point. I may have been too abrupt, but I got right to my point. I said, how long has it been since you were sexually abused? She paused because my words just caught her off guard. And when she composed herself, she said, how did you know? I said, because of how you worship. You restrict yourself and you can't give yourself freely to God. She had been married at that time, about maybe 20 years, two children. She said, my husband doesn't even know. She said, when I was a teenager, I was sexually abused. And I said, here's what I'd like for you to do. Because God wants you to stop hiding parts of who you are, retreating because of your pain. And you're shortchanging yourself and your family and your kids and your husband because you're not able to flower given some hurts and the trauma that happened to you. I want you to sit in the office of a counselor. Tell your husband, sit with a counselor. I want you to work through 
the inner conflict so all of who you are can really flower. You know how many people are dwarfed in parts of who they are? And the idea of God's love is to help us experience healing. So all of who you are can come alive. That you can fulfill your destiny earth and be at peace on the interior part of who you are. And when you give the Holy Spirit permission to enter into those recesses, you're going to be shocked to see gifts that surface, aspects of your personality surface that are good and commendable and so attractive. Why? Because the glory of God is for you to be fully alive. So this Christmas, don't let your response be being distracted, being disinterested. Don't let it be that. And the idea is the Holy Spirit wants to help you fulfill His calling on your life so you're not even disturbed.